0: Okay, so it's not just some lady in the church. I promise. Uh, hey, it's great to see you today. Thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, like I said, my name is Mel Massingale. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're a guest with us, if this is your first time, uh, I want to say thank you for making the summit a part of your day. Thank you for taking time out to be here. Maybe you were invited by friends. Maybe you just have driven by and decided to show up. Whatever the case is, I do not believe you're here on accident. I believe God has brought you here for a reason today, and I'm excited to see what that is. So thank you for being here. If you are a guest with us, there's a card that looks like this one in the seat back in front of you. I'd love for you to take this card out at some point uh, and fill it out the, the back. Drop it off at our info center. It's out in the lobby near our cafe. Stop by there. Drop this off with them. And what they're going to do is they're going to give you a free gift. It's one of our Summit mugs. It's got our logo on it. It has our vision statement. It says, every life made different. Uh, That is what we're all about. That's why we exist, is to see uh, the power of God manifest in people's lives and see people's lives changed uh, for his glory. And So we want to see that happen in your life, uh, no matter where you're at on your journey. So thank you for being here today. And also, they'll answer questions. So if you're here and you're like, what in the world is going on? Or what does that sound while he's talking? That's just our kids' ministry, okay? It's fine. We, we want them to have fun. So um, they'll answer any of those kind of questions for you. So stop by there, uh, connect with them, uh, we'll get a free gift, and they'll answer the questions. If you are here and, uh, and, and you're wondering what in the world is happening with the set, and is it always the Asian theme, uh, we'll get to that in a second. It's not, but it is for a few weeks. So again, uh, today's not very... Today isn't very Valentine's y, if I can say it like that. And if you were hoping for a Valentine's message from church, I'm sorry. I don't even know what that would mean necessarily. So, anyway, uh, so that's not, this is not your day. Uh, but I will tell you, uh, we're going to have a great time together. We've already seen uh, 11 people make decisions for Jesus this weekend, and we celebrate that, and that's exciting. Um, And uh, if you're watching online, I want to say thank you for worshiping with us, too. No matter where you are or how you're joining us, if you're watching at SummitTogether.com or you're listening to this podcast or watching this video after the fact, thank you for worshiping with us. Uh, Missed you guys last week, um, but I'm glad to be back with you today. And one of the things I love about our church is that I've always said I want us to be the most generous church in our area. I want us to give more money away to other churches and ministries. I want us to bless the kingdom like nobody else. And God is giving us those opportunities. And uh, one of our partners is Seeds of Faith Christian Academy here in town. It's a private Christian school that uh, endeavors to see kids' lives change through Christian education, and they do a great job of that. And one of our members is uh, is the business director at Seeds of Faith, and she's with us today. and She's going to share uh, about Seeds of Faith with us. So, if you would, please welcome with me to the stage, Megan Rudick. Come on up, Megan. How are you today? Great. Good. I'm, I appreciate you being a part. I appreciate you taking time to uh, introduce our people to uh, Seeds of Faith ministry. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Seeds of Faith?
1: Okay, great. Seeds of Faith started nine years ago. Um the people that started it just had a vision to have a Christian school here in town because they truly believe that to train up children the way they should go, it should be at home, it should be with their church family, and then it also could be education. So it's a great opportunity to, um, to, to do that if you're, you're called to, sending your children to private education. Um, this is our fourth graduating year, so we have a couple graduates this year, and we're very excited for them and their future.
0: That's cool. And we've, we've got a number of our families that send their kids to Seeds of Faith, um, and we've had a number. In fact, one of them uh, graduated last year. He's down at Liberty University. And, and some people, if they're not familiar with Seeds of Faith, might look at it and think, oh, it's just a little school, and I don't know what kind of education they'll get. But why don't you speak to that a little bit?
1: Sure. Um, your children at Seeds of Faith, um, we have 115 children right now enrolled, and it goes from preschool to 12th grade um, we have um, awesome teachers. They are dedicated and um, very well versed in their area of special, you know, education, whether it be the English or math or whatever. Um, and So our kids are very well prepared that if they want to go on to vocational school, they want to go into the line of work, or they want to go on to a four-year college. We've had some get a full-ride scholarship to Liberty um, based on academics and their um, community service and whatever else that they need to do there. Um, We had a girl go on to Duquesne Pharmacy School. So um, to be accepted into that program must be, I'm sure, very rigorous. So she was very well prepared, and we're very excited for our kids um, and what their future endeavors are. And I know a
0: number of the teachers at Seeds of Faith were actually part of the public school system but felt mm-hmm. called to be part of Christian education. So they left the public school system where they probably made much better money a lot to, yeah, to come. And, and they almost felt like it was part of their calling or part of their mission to go to Seeds of Faith. And, Absolutely.
1: And we have a wonderful staff. And really and truly, I mean, we can't pay them a lot because we don't have a ton of kids, but yet we have a lot of expenses and whatnot. So we certainly appreciate when churches will donate to us on a monthly basis or individuals will um, donate to a monthly business or monthly um, opportunity. Yeah. And um, our teachers, they have left public education because they weren't happy with it and they wanted, you know, their heart is, they're, for the Lord and they have Christian hearts and Christian families and they bring their kids. So it's not for everybody. Um, if you feel called to, you know, perhaps maybe look into Christian education, there are opportunities here in Indiana. So please come and visit us, take a tour and check out what we have to offer.
0: Yeah. They, in in um, if you're interested in seeds of faith, I will say this. Uh, my kids are in public school. And it's not because I don't believe in seeds of faith, but for us, it was a decision we made as a family that we prayed about it and felt like the right choice for us was to take the public school route. But there's nothing wrong with having your kids in Christian education, having them in private school. So if you're interested in that, please stop by, visit with Megan following the worship experience today. Uh, they can set up a time for you to come and take a tour and just get a feel for the facility and what's coming up. But also, um, she she uh, you mentioned to me earlier that uh, pre-enrollment starts on Monday, mm-hmm. is that correct? Yes, it does. So if you're interested, uh, this is a great time to act and to take a look at that and just see if maybe this is an opportunity for you to be a part. If you're concerned about cost, There are uh, a number of ways that, uh, whether it's scholarships or different things like that, they can help offset the cost for you if you qualify. So uh, don't let that scare you off. If you're interested... Go check it out, explore it, and see if maybe that's what God's got for you. Anything else that we need to mention, Megan?
1: Um, no, I think that pretty much covers it. Um, we had um, we have a lot of awesome volunteers, so if you know, maybe you have some free time and you could volunteer at our school, we would certainly uh, appreciate anybody to come in. We had a volunteer make bookmarks for us, so on one side there's a Bible verse, on the other side there's a little bit of information about us. So I have them back on the back table. If you'd like to grab one as you're on your way out, that would be great. And um, we just certainly appreciate again the church and all of your support.
0: Well, thank you so much. Let's give Megan a hand as she seated. We appreciate it, Megan. Um, it's funny, I didn't share this with the earlier services, time constraints, but um, it's funny because I, I had never met Megan before. and Back in um, the summer, probably. Uh, Seeds of Faith got a new principal, and we support Seeds of Faith on a monthly basis. And so we endeavor to have good relationships with all the ministries we support. And so I had reached out when I heard they had a new principal, and we were communicating via email. And she said, "Well, hey, let's let's sit down and talk. Why don't you come by my office?" And so I did. I stopped by and. Megan, and it's very glamorous, Megan and Erica, you guys share the same office, right? So you can tell it's it's very glamorous, Christian education. So anyway, I go in to talk to Erica, the principal, and we're just sitting there just talking, and if you've been at the summit any amount of time, you know that I'm just kind of a normal guy. Like, I was just, I think I showed up in my Chuck Taylor All-Stars and t-shirt and blue jeans, and uh, you know, and we just talked, and and, you know, I talked to Megan a little bit, but I was just talking to the principal. And then a few weeks later, Megan and her family showed up, and I was like, oh, hey, how are you? And it was just cool how God kind of brought that together. And a, a circumstance like that brings a family to our church. And I'm thankful for the Rudics and, and their great family, and appreciate Seeds of Faith and what they do. Uh, let me touch on a couple things real quick before we jump into the message. If, um, if you are new to the summit, if you have been here for a few weeks, maybe you've been here for a while, but you've never really gotten connected, you've never really gotten involved, uh, you've never gotten plugged in, and you'd like to, your next step is to come to our uh, come to our luncheon this next Sunday. So it's a week from today following this worship experience. It'll be um, at 1230 or so, but it's called Getting to Know the Summit. You can sign up for that out in the lobby, or you can sign up on our website at summittogether.com. Now, what we do there, it's real informal, it's an opportunity for you to meet our pastors, some of our staff, and figure out what your next step is. So if you're new to the summit, and you're going, well, what now? this is your next step, and we'll help you understand. Hey, maybe it's serving, maybe it's getting plugged into small group, maybe it's just meeting some other people in relationship at that group, but we will help you take the next step at that point. So if you're new, or if you're trying to figure out what to do now, this is your next step. So sign up for that out in the lobby at the Info Center or on our website, and uh, get connected with that. It's, it's getting to know the summit. So like I said, it's February 21st, following the 11 a.m. experience. Also wanna let you know, um, our Easter outreach is coming up it's the weekend before Easter and we'll be giving you more details about that soon uh, but last year we did about 20,000 eggs uh, we had a 20,000 eggs all over Mac Park and we had um, over 2,000 people showed up in 23 degree weather it was Cold man. I mean, like bitterly cold. And people showed up with their kids in tow, bundled up like crazy, to go gather up eggs. And we're expecting uh, even better things this year. We saw families come to our church, people come to know the Lord, and it was really cool. So that's that was exciting. But this year it's going to be even bigger. We're going to have thirty thousand. Is it thirty thousand or 35? thirty five? Thirty thousand. We're only doing thirty thousand eggs this year, not thirty five. So anyway, we're doing thirty thousand Easter eggs this year, and uh, it's going to be really exciting but we have to stuff those eggs. And we need your help. (laughs) Steph does not want to be stuffing these eggs by herself from now until the Easter egg hunt. So do us a favor. Tomorrow, starting at 9 a.m., from 9 to 7, we're gonna have tables set up in this room, and we're gonna be uh, have stations for people to be stuffing eggs. And if you want, bring your kids, or maybe your kids get out of school at three, bring them over afterwards. I found that tiny little fingers can stuff quicker, and it's amazing. It's like a sweatshop, and we get it going in here. So bring your kids. Um, we'll have music going, we'll have stuff going on, but it'll be fun. Uh, so come be a part of that. Even if you can just come for a little bit and leave. Uh, every egg that we stuff, it is not. This is not a promotion. This is this is seed. We're planting seed, and we're going to see a harvest from this. We're going to see people's lives changed from something as simple as serving our community through an Easter egg hunt. So if you're interested, please take some time tomorrow between 9 and 7 p.m. and come and just be a part of that. It'll be here in this room. Come through the front doors. They'll be unlocked. So come be a part. also want to let you know the tables set up out in the lobby are for uh, small group signups. If you're a part of the summit, but you're not part of a small group, you're not getting everything you can out of your summit experience Um, because that is where we truly grow is when we're connected in relationship with other people. And so if you don't have that, if you're not connected, Connected in relationship, uh, you need to be. So please find a small group to sign up for. I'll be in the lobby. If you're not sure which group to sign up for, I will help you find a group. I can promise you. So please take advantage of that. You can also sign up on our website as well. Last week we started a series, and uh, Pastor Todd led us off, did a great job last week. I'm thankful for him and the word he brought. If you missed it, you can go back and listen to it on our website or uh, through iTunes on our podcast. But he did a great job. And the series we started last week is called Deadly Viper Character Assassins. And the premise of the series is that we understand that God is real. But sometimes we forget that the enemy of our soul is real as well. That there's a devil and he's real and he's out to get you. He is not your friend. He's not trying to nudge you into just gently doing something bad, but he ultimately wants to destroy you. And we have to understand that his scheme is not just to hurt you, but to take you down, to destroy your character, destroy your reputation, to destroy your family. And we have to be vigilant about that. We have to guard our hearts. We have to protect ourselves from the the schemes that he has and from the assassins that he is dispatching. And so this series is all about us protecting ourselves from the schemes of the, our enemy. And last week, Todd talked about the deadly character assassin of, um, of amped emotions and what happens in our lives when our emotions control our actions, when we let our emotions run wild, the, how, how deadly it is for us, how Uh, debilitating it is for us and what it can do to our lives. And today I wanna talk to you about the assassin of character creep because no one wakes up one day and says, maybe I can throw my family away. Maybe I can get a divorce. Maybe um, my reputation can be destroyed. Maybe I can get fired today. No one does that. But what happens is small decisions over time lead you to a place where you forfeit some of the most important things in your life. It's a slow erosion over time a slow erosion of pebble by pebble, our character is washed away. But before we know it, we're devoid of character in our lives. Before we know it, we end up a place that we never thought we would be. We end up doing something we never thought we would do. We end up saying things we never thought we would say. And the reason is because the assassin of character creep has slowly chipped away, taken away our character. But before we know it, it's gone. There is actual an actual martial arts form uh, from Thailand. It's it's connected to Muay Thai somehow, and I, I don't understand it all. But um, this particular form of martial arts, it takes advantage of, uh, of the small stature of people from Thailand, and it targets specifically the knees and ankles. Doesn't that sound deadly? Like, watch out, they're coming for your knees, right? Like, what's the big deal? But what happens is the uh, the person who's trained in these martial arts understands that their job is not to um, deal a death blow right at the start, but they're to be patient and chip away and, and have um, surgical strikes to the knees and ankles. And before you know it, their opponent is crumbled in a mess on the ground, and they've won the victory. And this is how character creep works in our life. Character creep doesn't come to you one day and go, do you want to cheat on your wife? Because we'd go, no, right? Right? I'm not going to do that. But what it does is it says, hey, there's your old girlfriend from high school on Facebook. Why don't you reconnect? That's how it starts, a small little thing. And before we know it, we've ended up someplace we never thought we would be. We're doing things we never thought we would do. And this is how character creep works. It is a slow erosion over time. My favorite character from the Bible is David. Something's happening behind me. My favorite character of the Bible was David, and if you're new to church, uh, if you're new to. Religion and, and the Bible and you're not really sure about this thing, you might have heard about David before. He was the one who fought Goliath. So David slew Goliath. He was a young boy. He killed the giant. And we still hear about the story today. But he killed the, the giant, but the story didn't stop there. He went on to become a military leader in Israel and ultimately became the king of Israel. And he was known as a warrior. He was known as a leader. He was known as somebody who fought difficult battles. But he made some really stupid choices in his life, too. So let me look at, uh, let's look at this together. Second Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. This is where it'll start. It says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab, Joab was his general, and his servants with him, all of Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house and he, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. Now, um, let, me, let me just set the tone for this. Springtime of the year in this area was when you went to battle. You couldn't go to battle when it was cold. Lord knows none of us wants to like go grab our swords and go outside and fight right now, right? Like it's too cold. Nobody wants to do this. So they were rational. They were like, let's wait till it warms up a little before we go kill each other. And so they did. So they wait for the weather to warm up. It was easier to connect supply lines. It was easier, easier to just to make things happen. So they waited for it to get warm. When it warmed up in the springtime, that's when they went to battle. And David, as I said, was a warrior. He was he was a leader. And so it was not normal for him not to go to battle with his army, with his kingdom. He stayed behind, and he sent his general to do the fighting. And you might look at that and go, well, that's a good delegation. But that's contrary to who David was, because David was about the battle. He was about winning the battle and giving God the glory. And so he stayed behind when he probably should have been at war. So he stays behind, and beyond that, he was up on the roof. Now, if you look historically... A lot of times the wash basins, the, the bathtubs, if you will, were on the roofs of these houses because they didn't have hot water. so they'd even in third world countries you see this. they'd put the water on the roof and let the sun heat the water. and so it was not uncommon for these houses to have uh, places on the roof for you to wash yourselves. and so David, being the king. And if you look geographically at the castle, it was up in the highest place his palace was. And so he literally overlooked all of Jerusalem. He could look over the whole city. So from his vantage point, he could see all over town. He could see the rooftops all around him. So here he was, not where he was supposed to be, on the roof, taking a look around. And he sees a woman bathing. And it says she was a beautiful woman. And and what we see when the assassin of character creep is out to get us is that there's a pattern that arises in our lives. And it's pretty common. And it will happen to all of us. And so this is the pattern I want us to look at. If you're a note taker, you can take these notes. The first thing that we see about David and that we see about us is that David was somewhere that he shouldn't have been. Where should David have been? He should have been in the battle. He should have been off to war. He should not have been on his roof. Right? Right. He was supposed to be in some far-flung region of the Middle East fighting a battle. Instead, he sent other people. Instead, he was on his roof in a time of day that it's not unreasonable to think that people would be bathing and that women would be bathing. And so he probably shouldn't have been up there, but he was anyway. And see, this is not sinful necessarily. And this is how character creep starts. It begins not with a sinful decision, but with an unwise decision. Was it sinful for David not to go to war? No, it wasn't sinful. It, it wasn't breaking a biblical standard for him his life. It wasn't like that. Was it sinful for him to go to the roof? No, absolutely not. He was the king. He could go to the roof. He could walk around. There, there was nothing keeping him from doing that. And this is how character creep begins in our life. It begins with little things along the way. It begins with thing, us saying things like, well, it's not that big a deal. It's just a w- little white lie. It's not really hurting anybody right? Well, what would it hurt if I had coffee with this woman? We're just going to coffee. It's not like anything's going to happen at the coffee shop. Well, what would happen? I mean, gosh, I I know I shouldn't take that little bit of money from the company, but man, I've worked really hard and I deserve it. And I've, I've really earned it. And we justify our actions. David could justify his action. And sometimes it's not even sinful It's just unwise. And so we have to guard ourselves. We have to guard our hearts and protect ourselves. And we have to ask ourselves this question, where does this decision take me? Because it's not just simply about what we do. It's about where this decision leads. And that's what character Creep does. It blinds us to the fact that this small decision will lead to another small decision, which leads to another small decision, which ultimately leads to a sinful decision. We have to guard ourselves. We have to protect ourselves from that. So here's David on the roof, away from the battle. He sees a beautiful woman, and he has a choice to make, just like we do as well whenever we're faced with a dilemma like this. Probably not exactly like this, but you know what I'm saying. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 3 says this, And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? I love this because David said, hey, can somebody tell me about this woman? And he's the king. So nobody's going to go, dude, what are you doing? You have no business checking this woman out. Like you're the, you're the king and she is somebody's daughter. And And more than that, her husband is Uriah the Hittite. He's fighting the battle that you're supposed to be fighting, right? But he can't say that because he's talking to the king. So I'm putting the emphasis in there, but I believe that emphasis was there. King, this is, this is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. But David doesn't see that, does he? You would think that would be a wake-up call. Um, have you ever been driving down the road, and uh, you're not really paying attention, and you kind of get over on the rumble strips, you're just driving along, and and you jump, and you whoa, like you are called to attention in that moment, right? Don't you love it when you're driving and your family's all asleep in the car and you do that, and it's like, whoa, like leaping, whoa, what is going on? They think you're wrecking, and I never do that on purpose. Right? Well, what does it do? It wakes you up. It's like, whoa, watch out. You're about to be in trouble, right? And for us, spiritually, we should have some rumble strips in our life that, that when we cross a line or cross a barrier, it should wake us up, it should call us to attention, it should make us go, whoa, I am veering into an area I don't need to be in. And this is where David should have been, right? Whenever this guy says, hey, isn't this the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Number one, it's someone else's wife. She's not yours. But David didn't recognize it. See, the first thing we see is that David was someplace he shouldn't have been. This is what happens. We go someplace, we venture someplace we shouldn't go. We, 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 we take ourselves emotionally or physically or spiritually someplace we shouldn't go. But then beyond that, we begin to entertain thoughts we shouldn't entertain. We ignore the warning signs. See, David, I don't think he sinned when he accidentally sees this woman. But I think when he starts entertaining these thoughts, well, who's, who is she? I mean, because she's really beautiful. T- tell me more about her. That's when we're veering into the danger zone. That's when we're veering into sin. And this is where we have to guard our hearts because it's one thing for us to make a mistake and it's another thing for us to begin to dwell on it and for us to begin to, to think about it. In fact, Paul, the Apostle Paul talks about it in the book of 2 Corinthians. Uh, he, he had received some criticism For his preaching and for his leadership, some of the things he'd done, um, opponents outside the church and opponents inside the church were coming against him. Now, let me just say for the record, as a preacher, I'm so glad that the Apostle Paul was criticized for his preaching. It makes me feel better about myself, okay? So Paul was trying to address this criticism, and he's talking about it, and he's walking through it, and this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 10.5. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Because there's a portion of us, what, that we want to respond. And man, I've told you before, and this is sarcastic, but my gift, my spiritual gifting is sarcasm, Right? Like, I want to I wanna respond when somebody says something to me. I want to respond back to them. I want to say something. I'm re- you want to fight verbally? Let's fight, right? Like, I, let's get it on. I'm ready. But what do I have to do? I have to go, no, 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 no. I'm taking every thought captive so that God can be glorified in me. I'm going, no, 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 I'm not going to let my thoughts run away with me. Just like last week Todd talked about our emotions running away with us and taking control, we don't let our emotions do that. Same thing with our thought life. We don't let ourselves go someplace we shouldn't. We take that thought captive. We, whether it's, it's a sinful kind of temptation, to um, specifically in this context it looks like sexual, but really even when a relational sense, when I want to respond in a negative way to somebody, I have to take that thought captive. Whenever I want to believe the worst about somebody, I want to take that thought captive and go, I'm not going to go there. I choose to believe the best in this person instead. When I hear something coming my way about somebody, I want to take that thought captive and go, This thought is not going to dominate me. I want to glorify God, I want to obey Christ. So we have to take our thoughts captive. And David, he was at this danger spot where he was entertaining the wrong thoughts. And he was ignoring the warning signs. If you don't have someone in your life who will warn you when you're about to do something stupid, you've got the wrong friends in your life. You need at least one really good friend who will tell you you're being a dummy. Uh, If you don't have that person, you need to find that person. You need somebody in your life who will say, hey, you don't need to be dating that guy. Yes, I'm looking at the IEP students right now. You need somebody in your life to tell you, you do not need to be dating this guy. He doesn't love God, he's going to take you to the wrong place, you're going to end up hurt. This is bad. And if you don't have that person in your life, you need to find that person. I will I will be that person for you. I don't mind. I've broken up with boys for girls in our in our college group before. I've done it. You're welcome. We have to have somebody in our lives tell us no, sometimes. We have to have somebody in our lives tell us, you're going down the wrong path. I don't like where this is going for you. You are in the danger zone. And if we don't welcome that, we have to question what's going on in our hearts. See, someone was trying to warn David off, but he was not willing to listen to the warning signs. He, he kept barreling down this wrong path. He didn't even care what the warning signs said. Second Samuel Chapter 11, verse 4, it says, this is is David taking another step. Ready? It says, so David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he lay with her. Then she returned to her house, and the woman woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I am pregnant. Uh Uh-oh. Right? Um, This has no spiritual redeeming value at all. But I'm going to tell you this anyway. When I was in college, um, my first year of college, I didn't go to a Christian university. It was a secular university. And, um, and the dorms had a lot of guys and girls coming through. It was a guy's dorm, but it was a secular university. It was not a Christian university. And so we had these marker boards on our doors. And I loved to do this, and I shouldn't have done it, but I did it anyway. And I would go to guys' doors, and I would write on their marker board, uh, emergency the stick is blue, I think I'm pregnant, call me. And then I would just leave. (laughs) I know, I know. But it was so funny. That is the oh moment, the moment when they go, (gasps) like, oh my gosh, what has just happened? What is going to happen? What is going on when everything seems to drop out? This is the moment I can imagine when David was looking and thinking, How did I get to this place? How did I let it go this far? Everything that I value in my life is in jeopardy right now because I was an idiot. And by the time we get to this place, it's too late. It's too late for us to fix things, it's too late for us to make a correction for us to undo it. We don't get a mulligan. We don't get a do-over. The action has happened. So see what happens, it begins with us being somewhere we shouldn't be, us thinking something we shouldn't think, us entertaining those thoughts. It leads to ultimately us acting if we don't take a different path. It ultimately leads to us doing something we regret, doing something we shouldn't do, responding a way we shouldn't respond. And this is where David was. This is where he was asked. And I'm sure he's thinking, how in the world did I get here? And see, this is the, the moment that people regret, uh, express regret. Have you ever seen a press conference of a celebrity? Maybe it was somebody who was a, a movie star or politician or a, an athlete, and they've blown it. They've done something radically stupid. And, and we, as the voyeurs, we look at that and go, I can't believe they were so stupid. I would never do something so stupid, Right? And they get up and they go. I can't believe I was so stupid. I shouldn't have done it. I'm I'm apologize to my fans. I apologize to my family. And everybody's very religious in that moment, right? They talk about God and forgiveness. Now this is old school. IUP students won't remember this. Does anybody remember years ago? And I'm not. This is not a political statement. This is just how it happened. Does anybody remember a news conference that went something like this? I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And then you fast forward just a little bit, and he's quoting Psalms where David had sinned against the Lord, and he's I've sinned against the Lord, right? And what happened? Well, a slow erosion over time led him to do something he never thought he would do. Ultimately, he was standing in front of people going, I was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. Now, no matter what political affiliation you have, you have to say his image was tarnished by what happened there and what, what went on. Now, he didn't lose everything, but at the very least, it made him look like a doofus, right? And in our lives, we are at risk of losing everything if we're not careful. We are at risk of flushing everything we value down the drain. One of the most valuable things I ever did in Bible college, I had a professor, some of you might remember Garland Owensby was here, Gosh, two summers ago, he was here and he spoke, but Garland's one of my dear friends, one of the best things he ever did. Uh, he stood up in class one day and a bunch of youth pastors or soon-to-be youth pastors were sitting in the room, and he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to make a list of everything in your life that you would lose if you had a moral failure, if you cheated on your wife, if you got busted looking at porn, if you, um, you know, were stealing money from the church, whatever it is, make a list of everything you would lose if that happened. And we sat there, and that was it. We made the list, and he said, I don't want to let you hang on to the list, you keep it. That was one of the most valuable exercises I ever did in college, because it made me, it forced me to think about what David was thinking about in that moment when he realized, I've blown it. I'm at risk of losing everything. And that list was not a long list, but it was a really important list. It was family, my wife, my kids. It was my reputation. It was my job. It was my influence. It was my... My legacy, because let's be honest, when we blow it big time, when we do something stupid, isn't that the fear of our lives that that's all we're gonna be remembered for is the moment we failed? I made that list. When we blow it, when we do something stupid, that's what's going through our mind. What have I lost? What have I forfeited? What's gonna happen now? Let's go on in the story. Verse six, it says, so David sent word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to David, David asked how Joab was doing, how the people were doing, and how the war was going. So he doesn't bring this man to him and say, hey, listen, I got to confess something to you. That's not how that conversation went. He he brings Uriah in. He goes, hey, buddy, how you doing? He's building a rapport with this guy. This this man that he has betrayed, he's trying to build rapport with him. He's trying to smooth it over. He's still concerned about his reputation. He's still concerned about how he looks. He's still concerned about maintaining the status quo. So he brings Uriah and he has this conversation. He tells Uriah, he says, you know what, man, you've earned it. Why don't you go home, see your family? And his hope is that Uriah will go home, spend some time with his wife. And when he goes back to the battlefield and and if everyone finds out his wife is pregnant, they're going to celebrate and say, oh, Uriah came home. His wife is pregnant. It's great, right? And then David will be off the hook. So that's what David's goal is. I want to escape consequences at this point. But Uriah threw him for a curve. Uriah said, I can't do that. All, all, all the people in my platoon, they're on, the front, they're on the front lines, and I can't do that to them. They don't, get to, they don't get to experience that. They don't get to the comforts of home, laying in their bed, seeing their family. So I'm not going to do that either. I can't do that to them. He had too much character. How ironic is that, that the king, the, the man after God's own heart didn't have the character, but this, this grunt on the front lines did. So David didn't stop there. In verse 13 it says, and David invited him and he ate in, the presence, ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. So again, Uriah, David said, I'm gonna do whatever I have to do. He gets Uriah drunk. But still, Uriah refuses to to dishonor the men that he serves with. So David didn't stop there. In verse 14, it says, In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, then withdraw back from him, that he may be struck down and die. So this is what David does. He says, if if Uriah is not going to cooperate, I'm going to have him killed. And he sends a letter to his general, to Joab, and he says, set Uriah in the front lines. And when the fighting gets really heavy, retreat back, but make sure Uriah's stuck up front so he gets killed. And if that's not bad enough, he sends the letter by Uriah's own hand. He says, hey, Uriah, do me a favor. Take this letter to Joab for me. And little does Uriah know that he's carrying his own death sentence. Why? Why? Because David was attacked by character creep. Small decisions over time, little by little, eroded his character to the point that he didn't even realize. No, I think he realized what he was doing. He didn't even care what he was doing. He was making decisions that he never would have thought he would have made before. See, if you would have asked David before this happened, David, what do you think about um, having an affair with a woman who's not your wife? And, And more than that, taking her from her husband, having her husband murdered. What do you think about that? He would think it was preposterous, right? That's crazy, I would never do that. If you ask CEOs of organizations who have embezzled money, if you asked them before, hey, what do you think about embezzling a bunch of money and losing your job? they had been like, that's crazy, I'll never do that. But what happens? One expense report gets padded here, another there. I'll pay for a vacation with this money. Before you know it, there's someplace they never thought they'd be. We see this over and over and over, and David's no different. He's having a man murdered to cover up his stupidity. We, we are so concerned. <laughs> we are so concerned about how we look when we mess up. Have you ever fallen on the ice before? I, I never have because I've got such good balance. I'm like a trained athletic, I mean, Olympic athlete here. But right, you, you fall on the ice, typically the first thing you do all right, nobody saw me. And then you, oh my gosh, like, oh, right. You jump up immediately, like, oh, I'm fine. Nobody saw Oh my knee, right? What do you do? You wanna see, did anybody just see me fall? And this was David's concern was Did anybody see me fall? How can I cover this up? How can I maintain the status quo? How can I prevent the consequences from happening? And he attempts to cover up. And this is what we do we go somewhere we shouldn't go, we begin to think thoughts we shouldn't think, we act and then we attempt to cover up. There's a Chinese proverb that says this, he has too many lice to feel an itch. We have so much sin in our lives that we can't even feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit anymore. We've walked down a path so far that we don't even see how far we've gone. This is where David was. When Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, heard that he had been killed. Um, She went through a season of mourning, and then David got to swoop in and look like the hero. David came alongside her, and he married her and brought him into his his palace. He covered up the fact that that he had had done this horrible thing and had this man murdered. And not only that did he cover up his sin, but he looked like the hero because he looked like he had taken care of this poor woman who had lost her husband. Now, I said this earlier, but remember, David is a man after God's own heart. And if a man after God's own heart can do something so depraved and so nefarious and so ugly, why aren't we capable of doing that? Why would you think you're above doing something crazy or doing something stupid? The fact is, all of us, have the ability to mess up royally, to blow it big time, to do things we never thought we would do if we let ourselves, if we let character creep begin to slip in and subtly take out our knees and ankles, begin to chip away and erode at the, the bedrock of our character and who we are. Before we know it, we will end up someplace we never thought we would be, doing things we never thought we would do. And this is where David was. So you might think, well, that's the end of the story. But that's not the end of the story because uh, this, is, this is a hard statement to make, but I'm gonna say it. Your sin and my sin, our sin will never remain covered. It will always be uncovered. It will always be found out. I had a friend one time that said he would never cheat on his wife. And I said, how come? And he said, because if two people know a secret, that's one pe- person too many. He said, somebody's always gonna talk, so I will never cheat on my wife, Right? The truth is our sin will always find us out. And I'm sure David thought, I got away with this clean and clear. Nobody will ever know. It's going to be fine. But that's not how it worked out. If you want to read the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, it's in um, 2 Samuel chapter 12. But basically the prophet Nathan came to David, and um, the Lord had spoken to him about David's sin. And Nathan came to him and said, hey, let me tell you the story, David. There was this this man, poor man, he didn't have any money, had a small, loving family, and he had one little ewe lamb, just one little lamb. And it was this family pet. It was part of their family. They loved it. They took care of it. I mean, it slept in the bed with the kids. and we sat at the table with them. They loved this lamb. And then there was this rich man. He had flocks and herds and thousands of sheep. And he comes to town. Some of his friends come to town, and he didn't want to take one of his own sheep, to to sacrifice to give to his friends for lunch. So instead, he went to the poor man and stole his only lamb, and killed it, and they, they ate it for lunch. That's what he served his friends. What do you think about that, David? David was fired up because his sense of justice was aroused, and he was mad. And he was angry, and he said that guy should be put to death. And Nathan said, "Yeah, you are that man. You are that man." See, David was so far removed from what he had done, he didn't even recognize the fact that he had gone that far. And the prophet said to him, You did this very thing. And I think today, no matter what we've done, I think the Holy Spirit could look at us and go, You're that man. You're the woman. You're the one who's gone farther than you thought you could go and, and done things you never thought you could do. Now, this is the thing. The, the great thing is there's forgiveness and there's redemption. Because David went on, there were consequences for what David did, but David went on to, to be one of the greatest, the greatest king Israel ever had. He went on to be a very productive part of Israeli history and world history for that matter. David didn't forfeit his place in the world because of his sin. His sin didn't define him. So we have an opportunity to to be forgiven and be redeemed. But we have to understand that the assassin of character creep is waiting on you to bend the rules and to stretch the truth. He's waiting on you to to mismanage those small decisions and take a, a haphazard approach to the details of your life. And it's time for us as Christians to draw a line in the sand and say the little things matter in my life and I refuse, I refuse to sacrifice the little things. Um, how many of you have ever seen the movie Titanic? Have anybody ever seen? Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, if you haven't, it's like 20 years old. It's a spoiler, so I'm going to tell you. The boat sinks at the end. It just goes down and the old lady rose, she's got the necklace the whole time. She's got it, she just throws it in the ocean at the end. And if she really loved Leonardo DiCaprio, she would have let him on the door, but she didn't. She hogged the whole door for herself and let him die a cold, horrible death in the North Atlantic. It's not a Valentine movie, that's for sure. But the actual history of the Titanic is really interesting to me. Uh, the Titanic... Um, was constructed as an unsinkable ship. It was the, the largest sailing vessel ever made up to that point. It set sail in uh, April of 1912. It had an A-list of celebrities on board, thousands of people, um, and they were had paid a high price to, to be on board the maiden voyage to cross the North Atlantic from Europe to New York, and they were trying to set record times. And so... They had set sail, and you know the story. They struck an iceberg and sank within a few hours. Over 1,500 people died that night. And typically the story is that it struck an iceberg, and the iceberg caused the Titanic to, to sink. What they didn't realize is that in 1998, a group of researchers had gone down and they had excavated some of the wreckage of the Titanic, and they came up with a few small rivets, From the ship, and when they analyzed the rivets, they realized, hey, there's some, there's some discrepancies with the material that was used in these rivets. There's something wrong with these rivets. So they theorized that that maybe there was a problem with the rivets of the the ship, and they couldn't prove it till later. So ten years later, in 2008, it came about that they did a, a larger excavation. They found a much bigger group of rivets. And when they tested these rivets, they realized that the manufacturer who had made these originally had cut corners. They had not fulfilled the full standard of what they were supposed to do. They had used a sub-quality material to manufacture these rivets. And as a result, what really happened is when the ship struck the iceberg, the the, the, the force of the impact, it buckled these rivets apart, away from the ship. So yeah, it did tear a hole in the ship, but if the rivets would have held, if the rivets would have been secure, if the rivets would have been what they should have been, the ship wouldn't have sunk. The ship would have been all right. It would have taken on water, but it would have stayed afloat and they probably would have been okay. Instead of having over 1,500 deaths that night, there, there should have been no casualties. Well, what happened was somebody cut corners. Somebody said, it'll be okay. It's just a rivet it won't make any difference. It's not gonna make an impact. How can these small rivets make a difference? But when you take one tiny rivet times three million, which was in that vessel, it makes a difference. See, in your life, you've gotta ask yourself, do the rivets of my life, are they pure? Are the rivets of my life gonna hold fast when the force of the impact comes my way? When when I hit that iceberg, when I hit that barrier, what is going to happen to the rivets of my life? Are they going to hold firm? Or have I cut corners? Because the little things matter in our lives. The little decisions you make matter. The little corners you cut now, they matter. The little white lie matters. The thing you think is harmless, it matters. What are we talking about? We're talking about everything. We're talking about your reputation. We're talking about your your witness for Christ. We're talking about your job. We're talking about your family. And our enemy is out to take it all, little by little by little, if we're not careful, if we don't guard our hearts, if we don't guard ourselves. Now, maybe you're here today and you say, Mel, I don't know if I can safeguard myself against that because I've already blown it. I've already messed up. I've already lost some of those things you're talking about. I've already lost my reputation. I've already lost my family. I've already lost my job. What now? I'm so grateful in Romans, it said that God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'm thankful that we serve a God that loves us, not just when we're at our best, but when we're at our very worst. On your worst day, when all of your junk is fallen apart, when your world is a mess, God looks at you and delights in you because you are his child. Not just when you've got it all put together, when your house is perfect and your hair is perfect and your life is perfect, but when you are a train wreck, God says, you are worth it. I will pay the price for you. That's how much God loves us. So if you've blown it, guess what? We serve a God of second chances. and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and if you feel like you've blown it maybe you have but you haven't blown it so much that God doesn't love you no matter how far you've gone no matter how far you've run God is still pursuing you and chasing you and ready to bring you home if you're willing to respond to him let's pray God, I'm so thankful for your undying love for us. Lord, I'm thankful that when we have blown it, when we have, Lord, let unwise decisions lead us to sinful decisions. God, I thank you that you're a God of restoration. You're a God that can put broken pieces back together. So God, I pray right now for this place. Lord, I pray that you would speak into us, God. Let your Holy Spirit bring conviction when necessary. But Lord, let it draw us to you. Have your way with us in these next few moments. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm that person you were talking about. I've blown it. I've messed up. I've done some some things I'm I'm ashamed of and I'm embarrassed of. And I'm not walking with Christ, but I want to. I want to know him. I want to make him Lord of my life. And I'm I'm just tired of living the way I've been living. And I need a change. And I need that change to be God. If that's you, I'm not going to make you come forward. I don't want to embarrass you. But I want to pray with you right where you're at. So if that's you today and you say, I need to make Jesus Lord of my life today. I want to get things right with God. Would you just put your hand up real high where I can see it. And I'm going to pray with you no matter where you're at. Thank you. Here on my left, you can put your hand down, man. Thank you so much. Praise God. Thank you over here on my right. Thank you. Up in the balcony, two, three, four, five hands up in the balcony. Six hands in the balcony. Awesome. Down here over my left, you can put your hand down, ma'am. Another hand. Thank you so much. (laughs) Praise God. Anybody else? Just a few more seconds. Say, Mel, pray for me. Thank you. Over here on my right, sir. Praise God. Thank you on my left. i saw you, sir. Thank you. Down here in the front. Back by the camera. Praise God. All right, let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that you're a God of restoration. Lord, minister in this group, God. Restore hearts, restore lives. Lord, help us to connect with you. Now, listen, if you raised your hand and you need to be right with God, I want you to repeat a really simple prayer after me. And it goes this way. Just repeat this prayer. Dear Jesus, come, come on, say it out loud. Everybody's saying it together. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me when I was at my worst. Thank you for paying the price for my sin. I couldn't pay that price on my own, but you died on the cross and paid it with your blood. I am yours today. Use my life for your glory. I commit to do my best to serve you for the rest of my life. I am yours. Thank you that you are mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, come on, let's give God a round of applause this morning. Thank you, Jesus.